Advent, a season of expectant, purposeful waiting for the fulfillment of the prophetic promises of Scripture. A season of inspiration found in the remembering and retelling of the stories from the first Advent as Israel awaited the arrival of their Messiah. As we reflect on the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of our Creator God, themes of hope, peace, joy and love emerge, teaching us now, in the second Advent, how to be purposeful in our waiting. Encouraging those who lack hope. Bringing peace where there is strife. Spreading joy to the broken. And selflessly loving others all the while looking forward to the return of Jesus and his good rule and reign in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Well, good morning, fellowship. Will you stand with us as we worship our King's Darkness is defeated 
Well, good morning, friends. Y'all go ahead and take a seat. My name's Hunter, and I'm grateful to get to worship uh, our Lord Jesus with y'all this morning. If you're new, we want to welcome you. Our, our hope here at Fellowship is that uh, this isn't just a place where you can kind of slip in and slip out and be unnoticed. Uh, we would love to get to know you, and for this to be a place where you can belong and figure out uh, how to grow in your own walk with Christ and utilize the gifts that God has given you. And so uh, you can always connect virtually by sending in a text or filling out a form online, but our connection team would love to meet you in person in the foyer as well after the service. So come say hey to us. Uh, there's lots of ways to connect coming up in 2023, just a couple of weeks away. And so listed a few of them that are up here. Uh, we are a cell celebration church. So our bread and butter is always going to be worshiping together on Sunday mornings and then meeting in community throughout the week. But we want to provide occasionally some other opportunities to grow in different ways. And so won't go through them, but I wanted you to know that you can always find these opportunities and more on our news page online. They're all in one spot. And so uh, it's pretty easy to navigate on the website. You can also sign up for our newsletter and just get these opportunities in your inbox every Friday, and you could do both of those things out at the booth if you don't have time to hit that QR code there. Uh, all this is coming up uh, in January, but today is actually the last day to nominate elders. So we are a church led by a group of elders, not uh, one lead pastor or anything like that. And so occasionally after elders serve for their term, they will rule off and we will nominate new elders from within the body. So if you know someone who qualifies for that and would like to put their name forward, today's the day. If you're wondering what in the world is an elder and what are the qualifications, I would encourage you to, to go on our website or to get one of the paper forms out at the booth and look through it because this won't be the last time that we do this. Every couple of years it'll come around and we want to be familiar with it and also spend time in prayer over this process. So today's the last day for nominations. The last few weeks you've heard us talk about the gift. This is our annual opportunity for a special blessing for ministry partners uh, locally, globally, and even across the U.S. with uh, places that we serve. And so it's, there's a chance right now for you to give to that. And if you're like me, you may be wondering, but where does that money actually go? Well, what does it do? Well, there's hundreds of stories we could tell, but I want to tell you just one uh, this morning. Whether you realize it or not, these are some of our ministry partners in Memphis. So this is Icon Ministries with uh, Willie Baldwin, Elisha, Linda, Soup Campbell, and their team. And they work with, with kids in Memphis um, and do discipleship and evangelism uh, where they live in Binghampton. But also, they've ministered to our church for about 11 or 12 years now. Over spring break, we've sent students every year to partner with them. And our, our kids get trained on how to share the gospel, how to disciple, how to walk with Jesus on a daily basis. And so they're dear partners of mine. And a couple of years ago, they came to us with a need and said, hey, we're struggling to get kids around to the different neighborhoods and to do the ministry activities uh, that we need to do. And so they, they came to us with this need and through the gift, through your generos generosity, we were able to send some funds their way to buy a vehicle. And they took those funds to a dealership and said, hey, that's the vehicle, that's the Suburban that we would like, that we feel God is calling us to, but it was listed quite a bit higher than what we had sent. And so they were processing this with the dealership and told the story of this church in Northwest Arkansas that had given these funds. And they knew what Icon was doing and the dealership said, y'all can have it. We want to give it to you for that price. And so it's really cool. And that's, that's what God is doing in Memphis and we get to be a part of it. And so thank you, thank you for your generosity for that story and all the ones that we may not even know about that are coming this year. So 
you, we get to impact people making disciples uh, regionally, uh, around the U.S., but also globally, and we get to have some of those partners with us uh, today. Kings, go ahead and come on up. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've had the opportunity to have some of our global workers help us light these Advent candles, and they've had to do it virtually because they're not here, but we get some of them here with us this morning, so we're glad to have y'all as you lead us through uh, the Advent candle of love. Great. Thank you, Hunter. So like he said, uh, we are the King family. My name is Stephen. I'm Melissa. I'm Hope. I'm Asher. And it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, we live in, serve in Southeast Asia. And uh, this morning, as we light the angel's candle of love, please hear from the word of the Lord from Isaiah 714. Sababi tutuhan sindirila yang akan memberikan keparamu suatu pertanda. Sesungguhnya seorang perempuan muda mengandung dan akan melahirkan seorang anak laki-laki dan akan menamakan dia Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and it shall be called Emmanuel. Lord, we just thank you so much for your love and how you have sent your son in love. Lord, I thank you for the souls that we have seen change forever because of your love. And God, I just pray that your love would reign here in Bentonville, in Northwest Arkansas, and to the reaches of the world. Amen. Selamat Natal. Selamat Natal. Tuhan memberkati. Let's go. Off stage. To the left.
Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. 
I don't get to see you before the holidays. I hope your Christmas is going to be full uh, of lots of everything you love, okay? Whether it's family or food, or in my case, both, uh, lots of family, lots of food. Uh, hope you have a great time celebrating our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this Advent season, we've been blessed to have these global workers lead us in the ad- lighting of the Advent candles and And so I just wanted to take a minute and ask you, would you please, during this holiday season, remember them in prayer in a special way? Uh, They all live in places where celebrating Christmas is not part of their culture. Uh, So you and I, you know, we drive downtown or go anywhere, we see Christmas lights and Christmas trees and Christmas this and Christmas that, and most of them don't see Christmas anything, and they miss that. For many of them, uh, they don't get to be with their families for the holidays. And they've given up a lot for the sake of the gospel, and they're glad to do it, and they they are happy to make those sacrifices, but sometimes it's really hard for them. So would you take some time this holiday season to remember them uh, in prayer? And if you have a way of communicating with them, send them a note to let them know you're thinking about them this Christmas, and you love them and appreciate all that they do. Really grateful to have the kings in person here. Uh, and they're going to be in the foyer at a booth after services if you want to talk to them more. Uh, they've got some stories. They can, you know, they can talk to you all day on the things God's been doing uh, where they serve. And so just encourage you to meet them and, and visit with them. So during this Advent season, we've been digging into the themes of Advent of hope, peace, joy, and love by looking at some of the characters in the Advent story. And so this morning, we're going to talk about love. And we're going to talk about the character of Joseph. Very little is said in the Bible about Joseph. Uh, we're told that he was a carpenter, or probably the more appropriate term is craftsman. Uh, my understanding is uh, the, the people in those days that, that we would call carpenters, actually, they may be stone workers, they may be woodworkers, uh, they may do some metal work as well. So he was a craftsman. We're told that um, they lived in Nazareth. Uh, That's where he plied his trade as Jesus was growing up. We're told that he was a descendant of the lineage of the King David. Now, before you get terribly impressed with that, uh, I did the math, and Matthew tells us in the genealogies there's 28 generations between David and Joseph. And I did the math, and there could be as many as a million people who are descendants of David at that point in time. So, yeah, he was one in a million. But anyway... Uh, He was a descendant of the lineage of David, and we're told that he was a just or righteous man. Those are the things we're told about him. He is physically present in the gospel stories five times. There are five times that he physically is present in the story. Three of those times, he is having a dream and is spoken to by an angel in the dream. We don't have a single word that Joseph spoke recorded in the Bible. Not one word from Joseph in the Bible anywhere. And we don't see him any time in the story after Jesus is 12. So we don't know how long after Jesus had turned 12. There's a story about Jesus and Joseph's there. But we don't know how long that he lived and and we don't know what happened to him and everything that we know Uh, is either implied uh, or is out of tradition or speculation. But I can't think 
of another human being apart from Mary who had a greater impact on Jesus in his life. So I want you to think about that. The impact that Joseph had on the life of Jesus, we usually just blow right through simply because we don't know a lot about Joseph. But we're going to see some things that Joseph did that, that, that made this impact. So here's the question. What can we love? Uh, what can we learn about love from Joseph? Well, to answer that question, let me ask another one. How do you know when somebody loves you? Is it because you get all this warm, gushy feeling and your heart goes pitter-pat when you're around them? No, that's how you know you love them. How do you know when they love you? If you think about it, the only way, when we get down to the foundation of, of knowing that somebody loves us, the only way we know that somebody loves us is through their actions towards us. It's by what they do or don't do in expressing their love to us. And so we don't know a lot about Joseph, but we know that some of the things that he did, and we're going to look at the actions of Joseph to see how he demonstrated his love for God his love for Mary, and his love for Jesus. So the first act of love that we see from Joseph was when he decided to protect Mary from public disgrace. So here's, here's the setting. Joseph is betrothed to Mary. And if you remember, if you were around in, in our other teachings, you remember how they talked about betrothal was more than just engagement. It was a legal binding thing. And the only way you could break that betrothal was through a divorce, a legal divorce. And so Joseph was betrothed to Mary, and he found out that she was pregnant. Now, they were engaged, but they had not come together as husband and wife. This was not his child. And so Joseph had two options. One option was to bring her publicly before the leaders of the community, declare her betrayal, and her immoral behavior and her unfaithfulness, make a point of how she had uh, offended him greatly, and then publicly divorce her. And that would have caused great shame for Mary. Would have destroyed her reputation, and she would have probably um, never been a, had a chance to marry ever again. The other option was he could just simply give her a written statement saying, I no longer want to marry you, and give it to her and let the leaders in the community know that he had done that. The cost to him to do the second thing, which is what he decided he did, wanted to do. He didn't want to shame her publicly. The cost to him was greater than you and I can imagine. We don't live in that culture, and so we don't think about what did it cost him to do that. <clears throat> you see, in his culture, reputation was everything. As a man, as a, as a businessman, as a Jewish head of a household, his reputation as a godly, righteous man was everything. And the only way to protect his reputation would have been to publicly disgrace her, to make a big deal of how, how deeply offended he was by her immoral actions. Because that's how they did things back then. That's how you proved your righteousness was by declaring how righteous you were. 
And so by refusing to do that, he was putting his reputation on the line and he was destroying all of his standing and all the respect that he might have had in the community. Why would he choose to do that? Why was he willing to sacrifice his own reputation? Because he cared more about what happened to Mary than he did about his own position and his own reputation. And that's love. The second act of love that we see from Joseph was when he agreed to marry her and raise the child as his own. I think Joseph might have had the hardest job in the world ever. I don't know of anybody who had a harder task than Joseph had. To be a father is a great responsibility. God has blessed me with seven children. Um, It is a great blessing and a great responsibility. There are days when I feel pressed into the ground with the weight of the responsibility. To be a father to someone else's child brings an even greater set of challenges. And so for those of you who are adoptive parents or foster parents or step-parents or maybe grandparents raising your grandchildren, I want to acknowledge the, the, the extra set of challenges that you deal with. But to be the father to the son of God is unimaginable to any of us. Many years ago, there was a a Christian songwriter named Michael Card who wrote a song called Joseph's Song where he tried to capture what would it be like to be in Joseph's position, to be, to be in Joseph's head. What was he thinking and what was he feeling? And so he wrote this song and it kind of pictures uh, Joseph holding the baby and, and talking to God about, about this baby. And there's a line, there's, a, there's a, a verse in there that says, Lord, I know he's not my own not of my flesh, not of my bone. Still, Father, let this baby be the son of my love. Father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the son of God? For all my life, I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? Why would Joseph take on that responsibility? Why would he say yes to marrying Mary and and raising Jesus as his own son? Well, I see two reasons. One is outright stated. The other one is implied. The stated one is because God told him to. It was the command of God from the angel, you will marry her and you will raise him and you will name him Jesus. And so he did. He did the fatherly thing. He named the child. That's what fathers did. And so don't miss that when it says in the very last thing, and he called his name Jesus. He was doing what fathers do because God told him to. His love for God shows up in his humble obedience that would have required incredible faith and trust in God. The implied reason that I see in there is he did it because Jesus needed him to. And sometimes we miss the humanity of Jesus. This baby needed a father. 
Someone who would provide for him, someone who would protect him, someone who would teach him how to be a man. In Luke chapter 2, uh, we're told twice that Jesus grew mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. I think Luke is trying to make the point that Jesus had to grow up just like we have to grow up. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn how to deal with people. And Joseph was there as his father, training him and teaching him how to be a man. Joseph is referred to as both the carpenter's son, the son of Joseph the carpenter, and the carpenter, which means he was recognized for someone who, who plied the trade. So what, what that tells us is Joseph did what every good father in those days did. He taught his son a trade. Have you ever thought of how many hours it would have taken to teach Jesus how to be a carpenter? And every one of those hours, Joseph was with him, shaping him, molding him, teaching him, training him, helping him grow to be the man that he became. Joseph's third act of love is that he took great pains to protect Jesus. In one dream, uh, he was told that King Herod, uh, the king of the Jews, was going to kill Jesus. And so Joseph gathered this little family up and he headed to Egypt to get away from him. They stayed in Egypt for a while and he had another dream, said, okay, it's safe to come back. And as they were coming back, the, uh, the angel told him in another dream, but, but don't go to the area around Jerusalem and Bethlehem because it's not safe. Herod's son is there. You need to go on. And so he takes his child back to Nazareth, the place where all of the shame and the disgrace was. Nazareth was a small town. I grew up in small towns. Something interesting, if you've ever been in or around a small town, you know this is true. Everybody knows everybody else's business, even before you know your business. When I was in school in this little town, if I ever got in trouble at school, my parents knew about it before I ever made it home. There was no way that Joseph and Mary and Jesus could live in Nazareth and get away from the raised eyebrows and the knowing nods. Oh, that's that family. And yet Joseph, rather than settling um, where away from Nazareth. If it had been me, I would have said, Lord, anywhere but Nazareth. He was willing to take him there because it was safe. It was his job to protect that baby. And so he took him there at great cost to himself. Years later, Jesus would teach us that to sacrifice oneself for the good of another is the greatest expression of love. And I wonder if when Jesus was teaching that, if maybe Joseph was on his mind and what he saw. So when we examine Joseph's actions, they show us his love for God, his love for Mary, and his love for Jesus. His love for God is demonstrated through trusting obedience. His love for Mary is demonstrated by his humble sacrifice. 
And his love for Jesus is demonstrated through his protection and his provision. And so one of the things we can learn about love from Joseph is that love is a commitment to the ultimate good of the one loved. Love is a commitment to the ultimate good of the one loved. So with all this in mind, I want to shift our focus and ask you another question. How do you know that God loves you? To begin to answer that question, there's two verses I want us to look at. They're both written by the Apostle John. The first is a quote from Jesus in the Gospel of John. And the second is a restatement by John about 60 years later uh, in a letter that he is writing. So in John 3.16, Jesus says that God loves us so much that he gave us his son. How do you know that God loves you? He gave you his son so that we could have eternal life. And then in 1 John 4, we're told in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And how did he express that love? And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfying payment for our sins. And remember what we learned about love from Joseph. Love puts the needs of the person being loved as a first priority. So much so that the lover is willing to sacrifice for the sake of the one being loved. Because of our sin, what we need more than anything else is a Savior to rescue us from the bondage that we are in to our sin, to redeem us from the curse that sin has placed upon us, and to restore us into our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that Savior came to us as a gift. God so loved, He gave. Gave us a gift. It is traditional to wrap gifts. So the Father took His gift and He wrapped it in the flesh of a little baby. And He gave that baby to us. And that baby grew to be a man, to live and die as a sinless sacrifice and rise again to give us eternal life. So these verses are not only telling us that God loves us, but also they show us the depth of God's love for us. You see, the depth of God's love for us can be measured by the value of the sacrifice that he made for us. How do you know God loves you? Because he gave you what you needed most. He gave you a Savior. And through this gift of Jesus, we know that God loves us completely, deeply, and eternally. But this gift is much more than just deliverance from uh, hell and a promise of heaven when we die, although that would be an incredible gift. It's so much more than that. As we live between the Advents, the first and the second coming of Jesus, we live in the present blessings that come along with this gift of eternal life. And Romans chapter 5 tells us about some of these. And you may have never thought of Romans 5 as being a Christmas passage. But I want you to, as we read through this, I want you to notice the themes of Advent that show up in this passage. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice. We have joy in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us peace, joy, hope, and love, the candles that we write. That's what comes to us through this gift of Jesus. We have peace with God, which allows us then to be at peace with ourselves and with others. We have joy, which allows us to be grateful and praise God no matter what the circumstances. We have hope, which is an anchor for our lives in the confident expectation. That's what hope is, the confident expectation of the grace of God. And our hearts are filled with love for God and for others. Peace, joy, hope, and love wrapped in this gift of God's love to us. So as a way to remember uh, this gift of love, we're going to take communion. The bread reminds us of the humanity that Jesus, of Jesus that allowed him to step into our place and to take for us the punishment of our sin. The juice reminds us of the awful price of the blood that was shed for our forgiveness. Because the depth of his love is demonstrated by the value of his sacrifice. So as you receive these elements and as we sing, I want you just to hold on to them and contemplate what this gift of love means for you. Upon his shoulder 
your voice You have led me through the fire Darkest night You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness of God Would you stand and sing? All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so the goodness of God. Oh, it's your Yeah. 
This gift of Jesus tells us that we are completely, deeply, and eternally loved. So take the bread and know that you're loved. And drink the juice and know you are loved.
As you prepare to receive the benediction this morning, I want to remind you, our prayer team will be right over here, and they would love uh, to pray with you, pray for you, anything that's on your heart. Our Christmas services on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, pick one, come, celebrate Jesus with us. Look forward to all that together. Now receive this benediction from God's Word. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus, you are completely, deeply, and eternally loved. God bless you, fellowship. You're dismissed.